0: Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are not a distant God, that you are a relational God. Thank you that you're a God who uh, listens to us and you're a God who speaks to us as well. Thank you for this time now we have to sit under your word, Lord. We pray that as uh, your Bible is being read, uh, Lord, that you would be uh, growing us in our relationship with you. You would speak to us by your spirit through your word, Lord, um, to grow us in our knowledge and trust of who you are as our God. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us, so that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others, because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. "'Where do you come from?' he asked. "'From the land of Canaan,' they replied, "'to buy food.' Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, "'You are spies,' You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, Your servants were twelve brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. Joseph said to them, It is just as I told you, you are spies, and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison, while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me, so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them. Since he was using an interpreter, he turned away from them and began to weep, but then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey, and he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank, and they turned to each other, trembling, and said, What is this that God has done to us? When they came back to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. They said, The man who is Lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said to him, We are honest men, we're not spies. We were twelve brothers, sons of one father. One is no more, and the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who is Lord over the land said to us, this is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take food for your starving households and go, but bring your youngest brother to me so I will know that you are not spies but honest men. Then I will give your brother back to you and you can trade in the land. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Then Reuben said to his father, You may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Entrust him to my care, and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, my son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow.
1: Good morning. Uh, there's quite a bit that we're covering today, and uh, you'll see in the leaflet that I've uh, left, you, given you a bit of a summary of how these three chapters fit together. Um, let's uh, dive straight into it. Let me pray. Lord, our thoughts, uh, as we hear your word, we pray that you would please fill us with the truth about yourself and about ourselves. Amen. Well, after being after quite a few chapters of being in the background, the patriarch Jacob now returns to center stage. In many ways, did you know that this whole Joseph epic is actually about Jacob? Jacob learns that there's grain in Egypt. And we know that this grain is only there because of God's extraordinary intervention in the life of Jacob's son, Joseph, whom Jacob thinks is dead. And since famine is ravaging not only Egypt but also Canaan, Jacob sends his sons from Canaan to Egypt to buy grain. He's seen harm come to one of his sons before, And so there's there's a shroud of suspicion hanging over this family. And he holds back Benjamin. Benjamin's now an adult, probably 30 years old. or We don't know exactly how old, but, but he holds him back. Why? The reality is this family of Jacob's is actually in disarray. And the situation is actually much worse than Jacob realizes. And it's not just any old family. This is the family of God. The family that had come about because of God's promises, not only to them, but also to the world. The 10 older brothers had plotted against Joseph and sold him into slavery. That's just not right for any family. We know that there, there needs to be reconciliation here. Reconciliation. And that's what's on the cards now. And there are two components of true reconciliation Both parties have a role to play. The first component, if you want to achieve reconciliation, is repentance on the part of the guilty party. And the second component of reconciliation is forgiveness by the one sinned against. And this week we focus on repentance. Next week we focus on forgiveness. I've actually added another Sunday to the series so that we can deal with these two two topics effectively. Today... We're focusing on repentance. Well, the ten brothers arrive in Egypt. They finally make their way to the front of the queue, no doubt, thousands of people there, and they bow unknowingly before their brother, Joseph. Of course, his dreams had predicted this and had set them off. They didn't recognize him. I mean, how could they? This is 22 years later. He now looks like an Egyptian, walks like an Egyptian. I wasn't going to put that in anyway, it just came out. Um, Speaks Egyptian and uses an interpreter. Of course, Joseph recognizes them and he speaks harshly to them. And he accuses them repeatedly of being spies. There they are, this vindictive, jealous, ruthless, merciless lot his brothers and the tables have completely turned this is his moment he has all the power and he's going to make them squirm right maybe give them a bit of their own medicine teach them a thing or two surely some sort of justice is you know is is the right thing to do here to bring on these guys is that what Joseph is thinking Well we will consider Joseph's side of the reconciliation equation in more detail next week as we think about forgiveness. But before we move on from Joseph's perspective we need to ask I think why is he being harsh? I think he's testing them. I'm sure there's emotions um, caught up in it but Certainly what the text says in verse 15 is, this is how you will be tested. He speaks directly to them. And he says, as surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your younger brother comes here. They've mentioned that they have an elderly father back home and a younger brother. And this is a pretty clever test in many ways. If they are political spies, as he's accusing them, then they'll be shown up. But I think that Joseph has a much deeper agenda in all of this than just a simple test of their word and just trying to make them squirm. I think he is trying to expose their sin. He's trying to expose the secrets of their hearts and find out what's really there, what's going on. I mean, has there been any reflection on their sin through all this time? Is there any remorse whatsoever from these brothers of his? What have the years done to their sense of guilt? Joseph is wondering, I believe, if reconciliation is possible. You know, don't you, that time is no healer of guilt. I've read of many people carrying immense burdens, through life, even at the end of life, deeply burdened by things that they did when they were younger, maybe marriage infidelity, maybe abortions they had, maybe a feeling of failure, uh, a parenting. Look, the list we could go on. The list is endless, and so is the guilt. And, you know, we, we have all sorts of strategies for dealing with guilt. Don't bother Googling it. There's just too much to get through. And in the end, there's only one strategy that works for dealing with guilt. Repentance. True repentance. Now, you see, remorse is not the same thing as repentance. Perhaps it's a start. Saying sorry isn't the same as repentance. My kids say sorry all the time. We we, we ask them to say sorry. (laughs) Although, you know, saying sorry can be part of it. But the precondition for repentance that I think Joseph is driving at here is an admission of sin. Will these brothers even admit any kind of culpability? Well, that, of course, is pretty much what happens next. Joseph throws them all into prison for three days. And then after three days, he modifies the situation slightly. In verse 18, on the third day, Joseph said to them, "Okay, do this and you'll live, for I fear God. If you're honest, men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest go and take grain back to your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. Well, what do the brothers do next? They have a little chat with each other in Hebrew, verse 21. Surely we are being punished because of our brother Joseph. Where did that thought come from? Is that a 22 year old thought? We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. You see, this guilt has crippled them, it's made them paranoid. There's a sense that the bell is tolling for them today, for their family, because of what they've done. God knows, and He's calling them to account. This sin that's been sitting just beneath the surface for the last 22 years has reared up and showed its vile face. Time has not healed, they've not moved on. Well, they may think that all is lost and everything is against them, but. There is another beautiful thing happening at the same time. Their brother Joseph turns aside and sheds private tears. I think he's seeing a hint of truth-telling by these lost men. Maybe there's a glimmer of hope that they are actually facing up to what they've done. He's heard them actually talk about what they did to him. But Joseph's test is by no means over. He sends them home to Jacob, gives them grain, and gives them back the silver they used to buy it. It's an act of mercy and grace, but that, of course, is not how the brothers see it. They discover the bags of silver in their sacks, their hearts sink, and they are gripped by fear. They're in the middle of this test and, you know, they've got to bring back their youngest brother and now surely they're going to be accused of theft and Simeon, who'd been detained in Egypt, he won't be the only one to face the wrath of this mysterious governor. It's a reminder to us, in our own struggle with guilt, that fear is a part of the picture. We carry fear along with us for the things we've done. Will I be found out? What if people see me as I truly am? If people could know the way I actually think, the things I look at, the things I want. Surely God judges those who do what I've done. Fear. The Bible tells us to fear God, but not to hide from Him. He actually, you know, He actually does want to expose your sin. I don't think he wants to lay it out for the whole world to see, I think, but, but he does want you to lay it before him. He wants us to be honest with him about who we are and what we've done. And to do that, we have to trust him. If you're going to admit the things you've done and said and thought, you, you, know, you need to place those things in front of him and let God be God. And don't let your fear cause you to run and hide from God. Well, Jacob hits um, rock bottom here. We're taken back to Canaan. You know, maybe it's a bad day, but I think Jacob's basically just about given up. And he says to his sons, verse 36, you've deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more. Look, he said it. And Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Jacob says. How depressing. Has he given up on God? The good news is that God has not given up on him. Duncan, can we have Genesis 43?
0: Now the famine was still severe in the land. So when they had eaten all the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go back and buy us a little more food. But Judah said to him, the man warned us solemnly, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. Because the man said to us, You will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. Israel asked, Why did you bring this trouble on me? By telling the man you had another brother. They replied, The man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living? He asked us. Do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. How are we to know, he would say, Bring your brother down here. Then Judah said to Israel, his father, "'Send the boy along with me, and we will go at once, "'so that we and you and our children may live and not die. "'I myself will guarantee his safety. "'You can hold me personally responsible for him. "'If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, "'I will bear the blame before you all my life. "'As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice.' Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift, a little balm and a little honey, some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put into the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and go back to the man at once. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, so that he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So the men took the gifts and doubled the amount of silver, and Benjamin also they hurried down to Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, "Take these men to my house. Slaughter an animal and prepare a meal. They are to eat with me at noon." The man did as Joseph told him and took the men to Joseph's house. Now the men were frightened. Uh, now the men were frightened when they uh, were taken to his house. They thought We were brought here because of the silver that was put back into our sacks the first time. He wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and take our donkeys. So they went up to Joseph's steward and spoke to him at the entrance to the house. We beg your pardon, our Lord, they said. We came down here the first time to buy food. But at the place where we stopped for the night, we opened our sacks and each of us found his silver, the exact weight in the mouth of his sack. So we have brought it back with us. We have also brought additional silver with us to buy food. We don't know who put our silver in our sacks. It's all right, he said. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. The steward took the men into Joseph's house, gave them water to wash their feet, and provided fodder for their donkeys. They prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon, because they had heard that they were to eat there. When Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts that they had brought into the house, and they bowed down before him to the ground. He asked them how they were, and then he said, How is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? They replied, Your servant, our father, is still alive and well. And they bowed down, prostrating themselves before him. As he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother. Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. After he had washed his face, he came out and, controlling himself, said, "'Serve the food.' They served him by himself, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves, because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews, for that is detestable to Egyptians." The men had been seated before him in the order of their ages, from the firstborn to the youngest, and they looked at each other in astonishment. When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted and drank freely with him.
1: Well, more briefly time has passed and they've run out of food again. Jacob says, go back to Egypt. But Judah reminds him there's no point going back unless they bring Benjamin with them. And you know, Jacob, you can tell that Jacob's just not in a good way. He's had enough and and he actually here starts to play the blame game. Verse six, why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man that you had another brother? It's your, your fault. Well, kind of true in a way and Jacob sorry Judah steps up here and in some ways he, he clarifies you know where his father has overstated the case um, but he he really does the right thing here this is the, this is the new Judah remember the picture of Judah if you were here a few weeks ago sleeping with his daughter-in-law Tamar back in chapter 38 Do you remember back at the cisterns, Judah is the one who said, let's make money out of this kid Joseph. That's the old Judah. Well, now Judah is no longer using others as the means to benefit himself. He's putting himself forward as the guarantee by which benefit might come to others. He offers to make himself personally responsible for Benjamin's safe return. And it may well cost him dearly, as we'll see in the next chapter. So finally, Jacob reluctantly agrees. He utters a last ditch desperate prayer in verse 14. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. It's so sad, the the depths that this great man of faith has come to. You know, the one thing you can say about about, um, Jacob is that he was always desperate for God's blessing. He fought and fought for it all the way through his life. Remember the story with Esau where he tricks Esau into, well, yeah, sells him a bowl of soup so he can get his blessing. And then he tricks his dad Isaac into blessing him instead of Esau. And then you remember that Jacob's the one who fights with God all through the night with the angel of the Lord, and and the angel of the Lord can't overpower this persistent pain in the neck, Jacob, and eventually the angel of the Lord touches his hip because, you know, that's the only way to finish this thing, dislocates his hip. Jacob still won't let go of his hand. He says, I'm not letting go of you until you bless me. This is the guy who is desperate for God's blessing. And so the the angel said, all right, I bless you. (laughs) But what's happened to him now? It's so sad, if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. Jacob's been brought to his knees by this. The brothers set off for Egypt again with Benjamin. And when they arrive, Joseph invites them to dinner. That's nice. I mean, who would have thought it? What a wonderful surprise. And Of course, the brothers are filled with suspicion. What's going on here? this act of fellowship and generosity, and they see exactly the opposite. They think it's some kind of plot to enslave them and steal their donkeys as if Joseph needs donkeys. Have you seen his donkey car park? (laughs) Well, that's what we do when we're burdened with guilt. We see good things and we suspect them of being bad. We assume that some kind of evil is always lurking. Maybe there's something that we need to come clean about before God. Well, it turns out to be quite a pleasant occasion. They present their gifts to Joseph and he asks after their father. Oh, he's doing quite well, thanks. And then they introduce him to Benjamin who is Joseph's only full brother. The others are born from different mothers. And, of course, Benjamin is also the only one of these brothers not involved in the plot against him, Joseph. And, of course, it's all too much for Joseph again, who has to go off in private and weep one more time. But then they get together and they eat together and they've got their strange sort of cultural separation because of the the, um, the Egyptians' issue with other others and so on, it's slightly different places in the room, I guess. But the thing that's most notable is the amount of food plonked in front of Benjamin. So everyone else gets a plate like this, and Benjamin gets a plate like this. Can you imagine? What's going on there? Five times larger. You know what's extraordinary about this? No jealousy. Remember last time they got a brother being treated a little bit better? Cistern for you. Well, now what happens here is the text says they feast and drink freely together. Something has changed in these brothers. Chapter 44. Thanks, Duncan.
0: Now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of his house. Fill the men's sacks with as much food as they can carry, and put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, along with the silver for his grain. And he did as Joseph said. As morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. They had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, "'Go after those men at once, and when you catch up with them, "'say to them, Why have you repaid good with evil? "'Isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? "'This is a wicked thing you have done.' "'When he caught up with them, he repeated these words to them. "'But they said to him, Why does my Lord say such things, "'far be it from your servants to do anything like that?' We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we found inside the mouths of our sacks. So why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If any of your servants is found to have it, he will die, and the rest of us will become my lord's slaves. Very well then, he said, let it be as you say. Whoever is found to have it will become my slave. The rest of you will be free from blame. Each of them quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. Then the steward proceeded to search, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. At this they tore their clothes. Then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in, and they threw themselves to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, What is this you have done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination? What can we say to my Lord? Judah replied. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves. We ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. But Joseph said, Far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you go back to your father in peace. Then Judah went up to him and said, Pardon your servant, my lord. Let me speak a word to my lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asks his servants, Do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, We have an aged father, and there is a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead, and he is the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me so that I can see him for myself. And we said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. But you told your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him what my Lord had said. Then our father said, go back and buy a little more food. But we said, we cannot go down. Only if our youngest brother is with us will we go. We cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me, and I said, He has surely been torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too, and harm comes to him, you will bring my grey head down to the grave in misery. So now if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, And if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the grey head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please... Let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy, and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father.
1: Well, this really is the crunch chapter. Joseph has a second test, and this one is pretty brutal. God needs to be brutal with us in dealing with our guilt. We cannot keep hiding it. Joseph sends his officials to chase the brothers and bring them back. He's, he's given them back their silver again, and this time also he's uh, arranged for his own silver cup to be placed in their sacks. In, and the cup, of course, is found in Benjamin's sack. Of all the sacks to be found in, And at this, the brothers tear their clothes and they're brought back to Joseph. They're on they're bowing before him again. And he says, what, what is this that you've done? You can imagine that the turmoil that they're, in, they're under. Is it unfair, this turmoil? Well, it's certainly waking them up. Judah speaks. And he says, what can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves, we ourselves, and the one who has found, was found to have the cup. You know what Judah doesn't do here? He doesn't insist on their innocence and try to prove himself. He doesn't try and make any excuses. There are, again, there are clarification points about the story, But he doesn't try to prove it. You see, the thing is, he believes that all of this has come from God. He's saying that God has played a part in the exposure of their guilt. He doesn't realize that Joseph is in front of him at this point. Judah is talking about more than just the cup here. There is a heavy sense of responsibility that they have before God for their actions. And and that that sense of responsibility has now just completely ballooned to the point that they they know that there's no future unless they just lay it all out before God. There's, There's nothing else they can do. They know this exposure is from above. Joseph says, wait a minute, you don't all have to be enslaved, just the guilty one. And then the chapter concludes with this extraordinary speech by Judah. And he reminds Joseph of those key elements of what has happened, but that's not to make excuses. There are none. Judah takes responsibility both for Benjamin's welfare and also for the welfare of his father. You see how much his concern for his father is between the lines in everything that he says in this speech. I Verse 32, I guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I don't bring him back to you, I'll bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. And then he asks Joseph, interesting, he asks him not for mercy, but for permission to stand in for Benjamin. To bear the guilt of this apparent sin by his younger brother and to take responsibility for his father's grief. He's coming good on what he promised to his father. Can you see that Judah is a completely changed man? He has a changed heart. And as we'll see next week, Joseph can see it. What is repentance? Repentance. Repentance is change. The very essence of it is a change of heart. The word means change of mind, but it has a full sense of your your whole... Um, it's not just like, I'll do this, oh, no, I'll do that, and then I'll go back to this again. It's like a, a complete change in the way you operate, the way you think about sin. And repentance requires us It's kind of three steps in a way. It requires us to expose our sins before God, to to admit them before Him, that they're ours, to take responsibility for them and to stop making excuses for them. And it's about turning away from our sins, not just saying sorry, and then it's about leaving them behind. Actually, what we do is we we bring them to God and we leave them with him and then we leave those sins behind. Of course, Judah had no idea what we know, that one of Judah's descendants would be a stand-in for the guilt of others, that he would live a life completely free of his own personal guilt, but he would go to the cross to bear our guilt, the guilt that we collectively carry. And he went there willingly, and he knowingly took our guilt with him even before we'd become culpable. And he wore our guilt on his head as if it was his to bear. And he died under the judgment of God, The wrath of God was poured out on him for what you and I have done. And it wasn't a mistake. It wasn't a trick. It was a gift to humanity, planned long before his ancestor Judah would make a similar action, take on a similar thing in a smaller scale for Benjamin, planned long before it. But but there at the centre of human history... It's the cross of Christ. And that's the place we go with our guilt. Whatever it is. We give it to Jesus. And we leave it with him. And we, we walk away from it. And we, can, you know, we continue to do this because our sin does keep rearing itself. Whenever we sin... We continue to bring it before God, before Christ to the cross because we're not rid of its presence yet in our lives. But when we, when we do repent of our sin, we remember what it cost him and so we, we run away from it in our lives. We go in the opposite direction from our sin. We have that change of heart and we live to please him. To wind things up, brothers and sisters, I don't know what burdens you carry with you. I expect that many of us have already brought our sins to the cross. I've already said that repentance is something that we need to do daily. What are the things that that nag us? The things that we know aren't right. The things we know that Christ went there for. And of course, there may be A particular lurking guilt for you? Something that is stopping you from flourishing? Something God wants you to bring to him. It doesn't matter what it is, God can handle it. And in fact, you know that giving it to God is the only way of handling it. And so I invite you in a moment to pray a prayer with me of repentance if anyone wants to talk afterwards or send me an email or whatever that's fine too but we always start with with prayer with repentance as we acknowledge who we are before him so will you pray with me loving father we know that you watch over this whole this whole uh, life and existence of ours you watch it you can see it from the beginning to the end uh, all at once and you see Christ and all that he did ultimately to bear the sin of these brothers and also to bear our sin Christ stands at the center of our history as our great hope and this morning as we consider Christ we come before him on our knees And we pray that you would take our sin. We pray that you would change us and transform us. Fill our hearts with the joy of knowing you and knowing what you have done to our sin and our guilt, knowing that we have true liberty in Christ. Our Father, we pray that you would work in each of our hearts if there are sins that you want to still uncover, even if it may be brutally uncomfortable as it was for these brothers, we pray that you would do it because this is so crucial for us. Our Father, we know that you want to cleanse us from every way in which sin uh, has gotten hold of our lives. And so we pray that through your spirit, you would do that work in us today and going forward. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.